We'll come to the time in our service now. We'll look at a passage from the Bible. We'll talk about what this means, why it matters at all, and what we should do about it. So if you have a Bible with you, would you turn to Luke chapter 12? Luke 12, beginning at verse 13. We've been going through this series, Stories of the Kingdom. Luke 12, beginning at verse 13. And when you found that, would you stand together with me, and I'll read this passage for us. If you're using a Brown Pew Bible... It's on page 737. Luke 12, beginning at verse 13. Jesus, the context here, he's out teaching to this crowd of thousands of people. And there's an interruption in the middle of his teaching. We read that, verse 13, listen. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus replied, Man, who appointed me? a judge or an arbiter between you. Then he, that is Jesus, said to them, Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man produced a good crop. And he thought to himself, What shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. And then he said, This is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. There I will store all my grain and my goods, and I'll say to myself, you have plenty of good things laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you've prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with anyone who stores up things for himself but is not rich towards God. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or about your body, what you will wear. Life is more than food and the body more than clothes. Consider the ravens. They don't sow or reap. They have no storeroom or barn, yet God feeds them. How much more valuable you are than birds. Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life? Since you cannot do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? Consider how the lilies grow. They don't labor or spin, yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown in the fire, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? Don't set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Don't worry about it. For the pagan world runs after all such things, and your Father knows you need them. Seek His kingdom, and all these things will be given to you as well. Don't be afraid, little flock. Your Father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions. Give to the poor. Provide purses for yourself that will not wear out. A treasure in heaven that will not be exhausted where no thief comes. Near and no moth destroys, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. That's God's word. You may be seated. Let me pray for us once more and just ask God's blessing now in this time and his word. Spirit of God, we come before your word as uh, those who want to sit underneath it and to be taught by it, not as those who stand over it in judgment. We believe that you by your Spirit-inspired men years ago to write these words. And so although this is an ancient book, because your Spirit is still alive, we believe that you still speak through this word to us. And we're asking you to speak to us this morning. You, you tell us in your word. When you send out your word, 
It doesn't return to you void. It accomplishes the purpose for which you sent it. Oh God, accomplish that purpose in each one of us this morning. As I always ask now, eternal God, would you move and govern my tongue to speak your truth? Amen. What is it that causes you in life to feel secure, feel safe? When you think of something in your mind, maybe a, a couple things that you're like, if I got this, I feel like I'm pretty good. Safe, secure, set up. It could be a lot of different things, of course. Uh, uh, everything from having mom and dad at home with you, maybe your trusted stuffed animal at your bedside, to having a certain number on your bank account statements, or maybe having your trusted Louisville slugger by your bedside. All these kinds of things, whatever it is, when we've found something in our lives that causes us to feel that way, we, we tend to want to become suddenly incredibly protective of that thing, right? We want to hold on to it and guard it for the simple reason we want to continue to experience that feeling of safety and security. So I've got to make sure I don't lose this thing, right? So for instance, your, your security is your stuffed animal. Just bear with me. Your security is your stuffed animal. All of a sudden, now... Friends come over, sister comes into your room, whatever. That stuffed animal, no one's allowed to play with this. This is, there's a, there's a shield around it. Don't touch it. Don't look at it. No. Okay, you basically, what you become is you become a little bit like, you're like Gollum from the Hobbits or Lord of the Rings series, right? You're just guarding this precious now, and, and you just as soon strangle anyone as let them touch your, your thing that you've found security in. Maybe your security is your net worth. Looking at all my investments and everything, I look at that page, my net worth is my security, and I'm going to pour all kinds of time and energy now into guarding, maintaining whatever that number is that I've said, this is the, the, the bar, if I'm here or above, I'm safe, I'm secure. Here in this situation, now you're a bit more like uh, Ebenezer Scrooge from Dickens' classic A Christmas Carol, when he was a guy who's so consumed with the pursuit of his security in life, that when he was asked, remember, to donate some money to charity so that people living on the streets at Christmas wouldn't die of starvation, his, his reply is, well, if they're going to die, they should get on with it and reduce the surplus population. Regardless of whatever it is, you think of what it is for you. Whatever that thing is that you're looking to to find safety and security in life, the inescapable reality is still we have to face this. We live in a temporal world where things, including people, they decay, they, they break down, they slip through our hands, and, and we can't hold on to them. And, and when they do, as they all eventually do, all of a sudden they leave us once again with no protection at all. We're continuing this series, looking at the parables of Jesus called Stories of the Kingdom, looking at some of the well-known stories that Jesus told in his earthly ministry, talking us, telling us about what the kingdom of God is like, telling us about what sorts of things are valued there, as well as what kinds of things are despised there. And in our story we're looking at today, referred to very simply as the parable of the rich fool, what Jesus is going to show us today is that what is valued in God's kingdom what grants us entry into that kingdom is looking to Jesus alone for our safety and security. That's what's valued. That's what gains us entry. Looking to Jesus alone for our safety and security in life. And also seeing all that we have as ultimately a gift from his hand. 
Those two things are what Jesus is saying today is valued in his kingdom. And get either one of those things wrong, and Jesus says we become like fools. We become like those who seek to live their lives uh, without any reference to God, which is, which is just to say we become like golems and scrooges. Greedily pursuing at any cost what we think is going to grant us safety and security in life, but without fail, every time, still leaves us exposed. Nothing makes us more vulnerable than loneliness, said author Thomas Harris, except greed. Think of that. Nothing makes us more vulnerable than loneliness, except greed. Here's the thing. If we think we're not vulnerable to something like greed, the insatiable pursuit of anything other than God to find safety and security in life, then, then we may be the most vulnerable of all. And Jesus called to us today through this passage, just as he says, watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. And we're going to unpack that more as we get into this. For the fullness of life, Jesus says, that I designed for you to enjoy cannot be found in the pursuit of any other possession than a relationship with me. That's the only place it's found. So, in order to guard our hearts against this kind of foolishness of greed, as well as to find the fullness of life that Jesus says he intends for us to have, I want to look at our passage this morning in just two ways. I want to try to get, get, get us there quickly. It's hot in here. Two ways this morning. We'll look at the false hope of greed and then our true source of security. The false hope of greed, our true source of security. So if you closed your Bibles, would you open them again to that passage in Luke chapter 12, beginning at verse 13. Follow along with me as we look now at Jesus' next story of the kingdom. So let's look first of all at the false hope of greed. False hope of greed. Now living in a city like Vancouver... Come on, we are all too familiar with false hope, something like that, and it happens every fall when hockey season begins. We, we know this. We're like, yep, this is going to be the year, right? No, probably not. We always hope it will be, though, and it's always a false hope, and for the most part, whatever. We can look at that. We can sigh. We can laugh about it. But when the consequences of false hope have a much higher, maybe even an eternal cost, all of a sudden, we're not laughing anymore. And if you've been a Christian here for any length of time, you're likely familiar with the very first time that we were deceived by a false hope, and it happened all the way back in the Garden of Eden, when the serpent came to Eve and said, Did God really say you cannot eat from any tree in the garden? You will not surely die. No. Listen, God knows that when you eat the fruit, your eyes will be open and you'll be like God. Very first offering of false hope. We know now that that false hope led Adam and Eve to rebel against God, seek their own path to freedom, their own path to security, but of course, instead of bringing safety, it only brought about death. And now we've been dealing with the consequences of their trusting that false hope ever since. And what Jesus wants you and I to know from this passage today is that greed, greed, the endless seeking to accumulate more and more possessions in life, it's also a false hope. That is also a false hope. Now, I'm going to qualify that statement more as we get going here. But first of all, let's just understand the context of what's going on here. Seeing how this story about a rich fool grows out of what 
It's like a completely innocuous question. It seems like, how does he get that from that? Look with me back at verse 13. So Jesus, he's once again, he's teaching this large crowd, and I don't know what's happened. Maybe Jesus, I don't know, maybe he yawned, maybe he took a quick stretch break, something. But this guy, I don't know, just breaks in as Jesus is teaching, and he says, Teacher, oh, 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 hey, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Now, no, if you read anywhere in the context here, Jesus hasn't been talking about brothers, hasn't been talking about inheritance law, not, nothing to do with what this guy brings up. It seems completely out of nowhere. And yet, the question is not as random as it seems at first. And the reason was because in Jesus' day, there were no family courts. Okay, so when you had an issue of inheritance law, you actually brought it to a rabbi. And he would give you some kind of a ruling based on his understanding of the law. And this is what it, that's why this guy is bringing the question to Jesus. But you can see very quickly in verse 14, Jesus is not interested at all in helping this guy out. You see verse 14, he says, Man, who appointed me a judge or arbiter between you? Which is ironic for a number of reasons, but the main one being, as the incarnate Son of God, a ruler, a judge is exactly who Jesus is. That is who he is. In fact, in Matthew 25, John 5, Jesus says explicitly about himself, I am the judge of all mankind. That's, that's what I'm coming to do. So how do we understand Jesus' reply? Well, I think what it shows us very simply is that Jesus knew at his first coming, he hadn't come to be the judge of all mankind. He'd come to face God's judgment on behalf of all mankind. That's why he was here this time. And so he flatly, albeit a little bit cryptically, refuses to settle the dispute for this nameless guy in the crowd. But What's really weird and interesting here is that now, rather than just getting back to what he was saying, just being like, okay, so we're not doing, we're not going there, okay? Where was I? What was I saying? Oh, yes. And then continuing on, all of a sudden, no. Look what Jesus does. He launches into this whole new discussion now about greed. Now we're going to talk about greed. It completely seems to change the subject. Look at verse 15. Then he said to them, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possession. He goes on then, right after this, to tell this parable that we're looking at this morning, the parable of the rich fool. Which, if you're like me, it just seems like, whoa, sorry, what? what? Why, are we, why are we talking about this now? That, that doesn't make, your, your discussion here, Jesus' discussion seems as random as the question that was asked. Why is he going there? I mean, the guy said, help me with inheritance law. What did he say that sounded greedy at all? I didn't see anything. I think the answer to that is found in remembering what we saw last Sunday in Mark 4 and what we see actually through all the gospel accounts of Jesus is that Jesus, as the king of the kingdom, he sees beneath the surface of a person all the way down into the heart. That's, that's, what, that's the way he sees. He, he can actually hear what's being said and what isn't being said. In fact, there's all these kinds of crazy accounts, places like Mark 2. Uh, there's a paralyzed guy that Jesus is about to heal and he says, Son, your sins are forgiven. There's a bunch of religious rulers there, and they're thinking to themselves, what, that's, that's blasphemy, you can't say that. Only God can forgive sins. And then the Bible tells us, Jesus looks at those religious leaders and says, why are you thinking stuff like that? Can you imagine that? Would you want to be around Jesus if you knew he was always, knew what you were thinking? I'd always be trying to say to myself, I love Jesus, I love Jesus. <laughs> Something like that. 
It's, it, it's crazy. So, so it tells us, this should tell us right away, if this guy, if Jesus hears this question and then immediately launches into this long discourse about guarding ourselves about false hope of greed, then that means everything. Everything from the warning to all the details of this parable that he tells are all revealing to us now what's truly underneath this man's question. He's revealing it to all of us. Think about the parable. What's what's the main thrust of the parable in verses 16 to 20 there? Look, you've got a guy who's already rich coming into even more wealth. And rather than even giving a second thought to whether how he could serve the needs of others with that or even why he has that surplus in the first place, his only thought is to how he can store it all in order to continue to serve himself alone. And what Jesus is revealing about this nameless guy now for all the world to see, he's saying, that's you. That's like you. I mean, this is full-on like Prophet Nathan standing before David confronting him about Bathsheba with a parable. Jesus is saying, you're the man. You're the man who, who is acting like this. You're the man who's already wealthy. You don't need this extra money from the inheritance. You're being greedy. And not only that, you have no intent of using that surplus to actually meet the needs that you see all around you. You just want to set up life to make it more easy for you. By revealing that, what Jesus is saying to that man, to his disciples, to to that crowd, and to you and I today, is he's saying, watch out. Guard yourself against greed like this because it will deceive you. It'll deceive you, man. Like it, it'll, it'll give you this idea in your head that'll justify what's going on where you're, you'll say things like, hey, I'm just trying to set up my family's future. I'm trying to guard the security of my kids so they can go to university. That's, that's all I'm doing. I'm going to set up a, a nice retirement for my wife and I. Is there anything wrong with that? And yet what can be going on underneath the surface of that there can be a heart that's slowly finding more and more security in the gifts of God than in the God who actually gave them to you. That's what we can start to trust in instead of the God who's giving us those blessings that we're squirreling away. And then what happens, as we said, when we found that thing to be secure and all of a sudden now we start to guard it. We start to protect it so that now we no longer feel like we can be rich towards God. I need this. Yeah, you've given this to me. I need this now to be secure. And it's a terrifying reality and a terrifying irony. But the fact that we knew almost nothing about this guy in 13 and by verse 21, we know more about him than he probably would want anyone to know. Jesus just completely undressed this guy. But for me, I think the reason that I find this so terrifying is because it forces me now to consider the question, If Jesus was standing here now in front of me, if Jesus was here present in front of me and he could look at my heart, what would he reveal about the pursuits and motivation of my heart? What would he see in me? Would he see a heart that that sees all that I have as a gift from his hand and therefore I can be rich towards him? Or would he find the very same foolish greed that seeks safety and security in the gifts of God over the one who gave him to me? Ask yourself that question. What, what would he see if he revealed your heart? As you consider the question for yourself, let me give you a few things to help clarify your answer because this is important to see from the fa- this passage. First of all, we need to just t- put it out of your minds. If you have been thinking that way, stop thinking that way, that this, pa- that this parable is about money. It's not. 
Jesus talks about money here, yes, and he's included that, but it's not solely referring to money. Okay, remember verse 15, Jesus' warning, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. All kinds of greed, which means he's talking about wealth and money here, yes, but that's because he's using this guy's question about an inheritance as an example where we can see what this greed looks like. But listen, inheritance guy, he's just a template. He's a template to show us how this can work out in all kinds of different places in life. So, so don't start by saying to yourself, okay, how do I use my money? Uh, is that the way I'm, I'm, I'm being greedy? Don't start there. Start by asking yourself the question, what do I truly look to to find security in my life? That's where we need to begin. Where do I truly look to find security in life? What's that thing I know if God took it away, I, wouldn't, I don't feel like I'd be able to go on? What is it? We all, we've all got something. I know I do. It could, it could be finances. Yeah, it could be your job, your career. It could be that. But it could also be your spouse. It could be your kids. It could be your health. It could be people's opinion of you positive opinion of you. All these things we can cling to and you're like, man, if God took that away, I don't know if I could go on. What's that thing for you? We can greedily hoard every single one of those things, not just money. We can hoard every one of those things and so become stingy and closed off towards God. Second thing to consider as you're trying to discern, okay, what, what would Jesus see in my heart if he revealed it is this. We need to understand what Jesus even means there in verse 21 when he talks about being rich towards God. Look there, he says, This is how it will be with anyone who stores up things for himself but is not rich towards God. What, what does it mean to do that? How are we rich towards God? Because I know some of you, 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 you were listening and you're reading ahead and you're like, well, I'm seeing up in verse 33 there. Jesus is saying, sell all your possessions and give it to the poor. Is that what it means? Some of you, others, you've been in church for a long time. You're, you're looking over your shoulder. You're waiting for Dave Gibbon to bring out the offering plates again. You're like, I guess it's going to be another offering time this morning. Is that what it means? Write a big check? Is that, is that how we're rich towards God? Beyond that, maybe you're even asking, how can we even do this? How can we be rich towards the one who created everything, including us? How, how are we rich towards him? What do you buy for the man who has everything? How, how do you do it? And the answer to the question is nothing. Nothing. Why? Because God isn't asking you to give him or buy him anything. In fact, uh, God says explicitly, says it outright, Psalm 50. He, he says to the people there, listen, hi, I'd like to introduce myself. I'm God. Hi there. Which means if I was hungry, I wouldn't be asking you for something to eat. I'd make it. He says, I, I don't need the bulls and the goats that you sacrifice. I don't actually eat that stuff. I'm not drinking that. I, I don't actually need the offerings, what I'm truly after. God says, is a thankful heart that sees everything you have as coming from my hands. And you, therefore, as merely stewards of what ultimately belongs to me. i say that again. What I'm truly after is a thankful heart that sees everything you have as coming from my hand. And yourselves, therefore, as merely the stewards of what ultimately belongs to me. 
Live your life gratefully, open-handedly like that, God says, and you'll be rich towards me. You'll be rich towards me. And you see a classic example of this in a passage like Matthew 25, again, where Jesus actually explicitly says, I'm the judge, I'm the one coming to judge everything. Where he describes to those people who he says, you're truly part of my kingdom. What does he say? You gave me food when I was hungry. You clothed me when I was naked. You, you visited me in prison. And everyone's like, well, uh, I think I would have remembered that. No, uh, when did we do that? And Jesus says, I tell you the truth. Whatever you did for the least of these brothers of mine, you did it for me. And in the end, that's, that's all it means to be rich towards God. That's it. It means living an open-handed, sacrificial life towards God that says, God, everything I have is from you and nothing more. I'm nothing more than a steward. It means saying, God, use whatever you need, however you need it, in order to build your kingdom. But that's scary, right? <laughs> Even saying those words, I can feel a grip in my heart when I say it. Use anything you want. Whenever you need it, it, it's at your disposal. Come and take it anytime you want, really? Yes, that's what it means to be rich towards God, but that's also why Jesus says, watch out. Guard your hearts. Why? Because the second you try to live that way, it's going to reveal all kinds of greed in you. It's going to reveal the, the non-negotiable. It's going to reveal people and things in your life that you say, Jesus, you can't have this. Jesus, you're not allowed to ask me for this. No. That's what happens when we try to live like that. And what Jesus is lovingly trying to reveal to us is that whatever hope you think you have in that thing, whatever hope you th security you think you've gained from that saying, you can't have this, I can't surrender it to you, he's saying it's a false hope. It's a fool's hope, actually. And it can't offer you the security you think you have with it. There's only one place we can go for that. There's only one possession we can cling to to truly find that security now as well as in the life to come. And that's what we'll look at lastly now as we talk about our true source of security. Our true source of security. So Jesus starts now by connecting what he just said about greed with now what he wants to say about worry. He's saying these things are connected. And the reason we know they're connected is because he uses that word in verse 22, therefore. It says, therefore, continuing this pattern where Jesus will tell a parable to a large crowd and then he'll take the disciples aside to explain it to them. We read there in verse 22. Jesus said to his disciples, now he's talking directly to them, therefore, I tell you, therefore, in light of that parable I just told you, what I just said about that guy, don't worry about your life what you will eat, or about your body, and what you will wear. Theologian Leon Moore says it this way, just as greed, we can never get enough, worry is afraid we may not have enough. I love what Tim Keller says about worry, reminding us ultimately, worry is the belief that God won't get it right. And then he goes on to add, and bitterness is the belief that he got it wrong. And so very gently, beautifully, really, in order to help calm or alleviate the fears and the worries that can, be, that can come about when we seek to live richly towards God, Jesus uses these two simple pictures, ravens 
and lilies in order to help show us your Father in heaven. He meets all those needs for safety, security, that, that you were looking to for all those other things. He meets them. Look at verse 24, first of all. Jesus says this, Consider the ravens. They do not sow or reap. They have no storeroom or barn, yet God feeds them. And how much more valuable are you than birds? See that Jesus is saying, look at, look at these great birds, look at these big ravens, never mind having big enough barns. They don't have any barns. They don't have anything to store in. They don't have walk-in freezers. Nothing. There's nothing to store with. And yet every day, God feeds them and they're satisfied. Look at verse 27, 28 now. Consider the lilies, how they grow. They don't labor or spin. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, here today, tomorrow thrown into the fire, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? I know Jesus isn't trying to go all Walt Disney here saying that the lilies are, look at me. That's not what he's doing. He's just trying to keep it totally real here, reminding us, look at these amazingly beautiful flowers. They are not checking their friends' Snapchat and Instagram pages, seeing if their outfit is as cool as what everyone else is wearing. They're not even thinking about what they're wearing. They don't even care about it. He's saying, but still, God clothes them. They're incredibly well-dressed. And the reason is because the Father clothes them that way without them having to even spend a moment worrying about it. You can see the love of Jesus. Second half of verse 24, verse 28 there when he reminds us in both cases, he's saying you are worth so much more than those things. You're worth way more than those things. And if that's how God cares for them, just think how he cares for you. Think how he can meet every one of those needs. And so you see Jesus' deep concern there. Look at verse 29. He's like, don't, don't worry about this stuff. Don't spend another second Worrying about this stuff or anything else that you're trying to find your hope and security in. Your Father in heaven, He's got you. He's holding you. He's looking out for you, little flock. So rest in Him. Rest in Him. Seek Him alone for your safety and security. And look, he, Jesus shows us the foolishness, the complete foolishness of trying to worry about this stuff. Verse 25 there, remember He says, who of you by worrying can add a single hour to his life? Since you can't do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? He's saying, look, you're worrying. You can't even accomplish this, this little thing. What makes you think you can change any of this by worrying? And yet we do it every time. We still think, no, no, I, this will help. It will help things if I worry about it. Finally, look at what Jesus promises us. Look what he promises us if we'll do this, if we'll... If we'll rest in him and stop worrying. In verses 30 and 31. Look with me there. He says, The pagan world runs after all such things, but your father knows that you need them. He knows that you need all this stuff. Verse 31. But seek his kingdom, and all these things will be given to you as well. He'll give you all that stuff he knows you need when you seek him first as the thing you need most. Jesus is like, yeah. Yeah, the pagans, those who seek to live their lives with no reference to God, they spend all day. They spend all they have. They spend all their money, time, everything, treasure. They, they give it all to pursuing this stuff. That's how they live their lives. But, but, but here's the thing. If you'll give me, this is Jesus saying, if you'll give me the giver of all this stuff that you call mine, 
If you'll give me the primary place in your heart, in your calendar, in your marriage, in your family, in your finances, in all these places, if you'll do that, then you'll truly be free. You'll truly be, you'll have the safety and security that you're seeking so desperately. I'll grant you everything you thought you were finding in those other things if you'll come to me and seek me first. All of it is freely available to the one who lives their life in relationship to me, says Jesus. Or like we've heard him say so many times now in this parable, through these parables uh, that he's given us, where he says, whoever has, and the implication being whoever has me, Whoever has will be given even more. Whoever does not have, whoever does not have me, even what he thinks he has will be taken away. And it's crazy. It's, it's the great paradox of life in Jesus' kingdom. What is valued, what gains us access into that kingdom is not in our trying harder, but in surrender. It's not in our striving, but in our resting See, Jesus says to us this morning, you want to truly know safety? You want to truly know security in your life? Then surrender. Surrender the rule of your life and rest gratefully and open-handedly in me and you'll actually have all those other things as well. You'll have that stuff too. All the stuff you're working so hard to, to possess because you, you already have security if you have me. You already have safety if you have me. It's not in those other things, but tell you what, Try to maintain control yourself. Try, try to store up wealth and possessions because you think, no, I need that for security and safety. You'll end up with neither. You won't have the safety or those things. That's what the parable shows us. You, you lose all of it. The reason for that, Jesus says, is also a matter of safety and security. Look at verse 33 and 34. Sell your possessions. Give to the poor. Provide for yourself purses that will not wear out. A treasure in heaven that will not be exhausted. Where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. I remember a few years ago, uh, my family and I, we were traveling to L.A. And I'll be honest, I was being cheap. I didn't want to spend the other 25 bucks U.S. for a checked bag. So I thought, you know what, this year I'm, I'm taking a carry-on. I can pack light. I'm a guy. I'm going to take a carry-on as my suitcase. But here's the problem. From the time I met my wife, she's a Kootenai girl, and she told me that her dad taught her, any real man, anyone who's really a man carries a pocket knife and a hanky. You've got to have those things. And so I was like, okay, that's what it takes. I can do that. So that's what I started doing. And, and although I remembered, okay, you can't, don't take your pocket knife on the plane. I, I didn't keep it in my pocket. I did put it in my suitcase, which was the carry-on. So... When they scanned that through the security, all of a sudden, they were very quick to remind me, uh, uh, you can't bring that with you. It's got to stay behind. Sorry. Thankfully, I still made it through the check and we were able to go. That's exactly what Jesus is getting at in these verses as well. He's saying the exact same thing. The problem with greedily storing up God's gifts for ourselves here and not being rich towards God is that when this brief, breath-like Life comes to an end. We must travel, as we all must travel, across that great divide between this life and the next. We can't bring any of it with us. It all has to stay behind. 
Your only hope, says Jesus. The only place you can truly find safety and security in this life and the next is to surrender all the things you value so deeply, even your very life, to me and into my care. Seek me first. Seek my kingdom first, says Jesus. Treasure me above all your other possessions, says Jesus, and you'll be storing up treasures. You'll be sending them ahead of you to a place where they're actually secure, to the only place where they can actually be secure, actually. Foolishly try to build bigger, more secure barns here, and you'll have to leave it all behind. And then, as Jesus says in the parable, who will get what you prepared for yourself? As Robert Stein, commentator, says so perfectly, death either unites people with their heavenly treasures, which can never be taken away, or it deprives them of everything. I don't know where all this finds you this morning. I don't know how God is speaking to you. I know he was pressing on some very specific, particular things in my life this week as I was studying this. For some of us here, although yes, nobody does this perfectly, I know that this is exactly how you're trying to live your life right now. You're trying to live sacrificially, open-handed before God, seeking Him and His kingdom as your greatest treasure. And I've seen some incredibly beautiful examples in this church of living exactly like that. And I praise God for that. But others of us, we hear Jesus' words here and we find them to be terrifyingly exposing. Because here's the issue for many of us. We read in verse 15, look back with there. He says, life does not consist in the abundance of man's possessions. And yet, come on, we live in a city, we live in a culture that tells us that every moment of the day, that's exactly where life is found. Of course it is. How foolish of you to not seek to gather more and more possessions. You're going to get left behind if you don't. That's where life is found. That's the, that's the air we breathe every day. what Jesus' words expose in us, even as sons and daughters of God, if you know Jesus as your Savior this morning, it reveals that we've bought into that exact same mindset ourselves. We've trusted the false hope and have started trying to build bigger and bigger barns for ourselves, forgetting there's still a life after this one to come and we can't take a single one of those treasures that we've stored up with us. The only treasures we take with us are those that we've sent ahead. And if that's where you're at this morning, if, if the Spirit of God is pressing on something in your heart and in your life, first of all, don't push it away. Don't push it away. His desire is for your good. That's why he's asking for that. If he's revealing something in your life that you've been greedily storing away, if he's showing you this morning where you have not been rich towards God, Jesus' call to you this morning is very simple. Take off your hands. O open up your hands. Stop, stop grabbing onto that thing, whatever it is. Open up your hands. Surrender that thing to me. Not because Jesus is trying to rob you of your stuff. He's not trying to take your stuff. He's not trying to take your life. He's not trying to take your joy, but because he knows you can't find life. You can't find joy and ultimate safety in those things. Your security is not there. 
Doesn't matter how much wealth you store up. One day you're going to leave it behind. Doesn't matter uh, if you think, man, if I could just find that perfect spouse, then I'd know my life would be... No, it's not actually. Your life isn't secure. If I could just have kids, if I could just have that six-pack abs, if I could just, if I could just, if I could just... Security's not there. It's, It's not there. That's what he's trying to show to you. For life in all its fullness can only be found in one place, and that's Jesus. That's the one place it's found. In John 10.10, Jesus says plainly, I have come that you might have life and have it to the full. Those of you who were here when we went through the I Am series will remember the little mini Greek lesson I gave you about the two Greek words that are often used for life. Bios, which speaks mainly just about our physical life, our physical body. And then zoe, which speaks about life that's above and beyond. It transcends you know, physical life to the, the fullness and the richness of life that we're all seeking after. Zoe is the word Jesus uses in John 10 there. He says, that's the kind of life I want for you. I'm not, I'm not coming here to make you alive. I'm coming here to give you life that's way more than just existing. That's what I've come to give you. And it probably won't surprise you to hear that in verse 15 of our passage, Jesus uses the exact same word for life. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. A man's zoe does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. You see it now? Jesus is telling us, watch out. Be on your guard because fullness of life that I came to bring you, that you're so desperately seeking at, can't be found in greedily pursuing the things that the world says is going to give you safety and security. That's a false hope. It can't be found there. It can only be found in me, says Jesus, in making me the treasure that you seek above all other things. Only then will you be able to live richly and open-handedly before God. Let's confess, let's be honest with each other, that's hard. That's really hard to do. And because we live in that, that soup that we've been living in for so long, we believed the false hope. There's all kinds of things we don't, we don't want to let go of. We don't want to surrender. And maybe it sounds like Jesus is asking too much. But he's not. He's not asking any more than what he's given to us. Remember what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 9. You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. That though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor. So that through his poverty you might become rich. If Jesus could do that for you, if he could surrender all the riches of heaven, take his hands off and say, I'm going to give it all in order to make you my treasure. If he could do that for you, surrendering his very life, giving it up for you, if he could do that, is there truly anything that he could not ask of you that we should not freely, willingly offer back up to him? Because remember, he's asking you to do that, not to take your life, not to take your security but so that in him you might truly have it. Let's pray.